And uh, once you have your Bibles, find a place in the book of Romans, chapter number 2. The book of Romans, chapter number 2. And uh, we'll be in that chapter probably tonight and next Wednesday night. And uh, give you some thoughts from this passage of Scripture. And uh, hopefully be a blessing to us all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. And then we'll turn to the text. Father... I ask your blessings to be upon your word. Lord, I know that what we're dealing with in these first chapters of Romans are difficult, Lord, because they expose us for who we truly are. They expose us as sinners. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to receive this with open hearts and open minds. Lord, that we would not uh, judge our neighbor, but judge ourselves as you teach us to do. Lord, in this we ask your name and amen. In the previous chapter, uh, at the end, I should say, of the previous chapter, beginning in verse 18 through verse number 32, uh, we see the declining moral condition of society. Uh, We talk about man evolving, but man is not evolving. Man is is moving further and further away from God. And Paul uh, lists for us several sins that society is dealing with. What is amazing is that while they dealt with those things in Paul's day, we are also dealing with them in our day. In fact, we have seen a growing trend in several of these things as they become more and more prevalent in our society. Paul talked about things like fornication and wickedness. He talked about homosexuality and idolatry. And the list of wickedness found at the end of chapter number 1 is startling and staggering to say the least. It seems as though when we come to chapter number 2, Paul is going to address a specific crowd of people. And the crowd of people that he's going to address in chapter 2 are the ones that would look at the people in chapter 1 and and maybe judge them harshly. They would would look at the list of things in chapter number 1 and say, well, that's not me. And they would take a very superior attitude. They would maybe look down on those that uh, would be found guilty of the things listed in the first chapter. There's some debate who Paul is talking to. Uh, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon that one time wrote that verse 1 through verse 16, Paul is dealing with the self-righteous Gentile. Uh, he, he submits that he's dealing with the philosophy, uh, the philosopher uh, that would maybe uh, take an exalted position and look down upon someone that's heathenistic. Others say that Paul is dealing with the Jew, uh, beginning in chapter number 2. And and I take more of that opinion. It seems especially when we get to verse 17, and there's no denying Paul's dealing with the Jew in verse 17, but really I think he's dealing with the Jew in the entirety of the text. But whether he's dealing with a self-righteous Gentile or whether he's dealing with the Jew, it really doesn't matter. The principle is the same. Um, Paul is listing for us now this self-righteous crowd, this holier-than-thou crowd that fails to look at their own lives and look at their own sins and their own shortcomings. If Paul is writing to the Jews, he's making a bold claim in chapter 2 because Paul is claiming now that the Jew is not in fellowship with God. For the Jew to admit spiritual incorrectness or spiritual impropriety, that's a hard thing. That's something they were unwilling to do. The prophets of the Old Testament oftentimes 
would talk to the nation of Israel about their sin and their shortcomings, about God's judgment for those sins. And they hated the prophets for that. They despised them. They persecuted, killed some of them because those men confronted them and told them, you are not right with God. You think about Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Jesus came on the scene and He began to preach to the Jewish nation, you are not right with God. You have to submit. You have to repent. You have to be born again. And the Jews hated that so much that they nailed Him to a cross. They literally killed Jesus Christ because He told them they were not right with God. You remember the story in Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus one day and said, Sir, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, what does the law say? And in his self-righteous position, he said, Well, uh, the law says, Keep, you know, keep the Sabbath, uh, have one God, don't murder, don't steal, and on and on. And Jesus said, Well, that's good, do those things. And he said, Oh, I have done those from my youth. You can almost, you can almost feel his, his pious position. I have done that from my youth as he sticks his chest out in boast. And Jesus said, well, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the Bible said, of course, he went away sorrowful. But that is the position the Jew holds. The Jew held the position, we are right with God. We think of the Pharisee and the publican that Jesus illustrated. And the Pharisee begins to pray, and he said, I thank thee, Father, that that I am not like other men. I fast, and I pray, and I give, and, and I'm not like this man. He's a dirty, wretched sinner. I'm not like this publican. And the publican simply smote on his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went to his house justified. They thought they were better than everybody else. Can I maybe put it into terms that we would understand one of the biggest problems with religion today is that religion, like the Jew, views itself on a different level. We are somehow above the common man and we look down our nose at the lost that is around us. We are the spiritual men and women and they are the sinners. While it is true that the Jew did have certain advantages, and we'll see that in this chapter, those advantages did not mean that they were without sin. Or that they would not be judged. They, they were guilty of sin, and because they were guilty of sin, they would be judged of that. With that same view in mind, we must consider that we are no better than anyone else. We maybe consider ourselves superior because of upbringing I was brought up in church we consider ourselves superior because maybe we have more substance than somebody else has there are some that consider themselves superior because they are a certain righteous the self-righteous man last Wednesday night I gave you the title at the end of chapter one that that the the world was on trial tonight we'll maybe use that same thought but we'll say it this way the self-righteous man is on trial the self-righteous man is on trial as he stands in the courtroom of a holy God and finds himself guilty. Notice a few things with me as we move along. First of all, I want you to see a false basis of judgment. A false basis of judgment. 
Verse 1, please. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. The verse sets, verse 1, sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. In this principal verse, Paul gives us the topic and the tone. Paul says that you are judged, verse 1, because you are not without sin. You are inexcusable, O man, he says. Now, let me take a time out right here and say Paul is not talking about salvation in chapter 2. Paul will get around to the topic of salvation, but he's not doing that yet. Paul is setting the stage and Paul is simply uh, teaching us and proving to us that all men are sinners. He does that in the first three chapters. Paul doesn't give us a lot of hope, in fact, in these chapters. He says, you are without excuse. You are going to be judged. He is not dealing with salvation now. Paul is simply stating, you are a sinner. And because you're a sinner, you will be judged for that. The Jew would have applauded Paul for his condemnation of the Gentiles uh, in chapter number 1. As Paul said, you have left the natural use of the woman and you have turned to fornication and, and you have been disobedient to your parents and, and you have done this and you have done that. You have gossiped and you have had malice and bitterness. The Jew would say, well done, apostle, well done. Go get them, preacher, go get them. Tell them about their sins. They looked down on the Gentiles because they considered themselves better. They didn't believe they were guilty of any of those things. Again, we see, can see ourselves in that predicament if we're not careful. Uh, if we are not careful, we can say to the preacher or say to the Scriptures or say to someone we hear, go get them, tell them about their sin. But before we ag somebody on to get somebody else in their dirty sins, we must pause for a moment and consider our dirty sins. You're inexcusable, old man. The man that says, go get them, tell them about what they're doing wrong. Paul says, before you applaud me in getting them, may I remind you that you also are without excuse. If we are not careful and Please understand what I'm about to say. If we are not careful, we can set certain standards in our church and have a certain set of convictions in our own lives and use those convictions to judge everybody else based on them. When a person is guilty of doing something we consider wrong, then we judge that person. And here's the problem with doing that. When you judge someone else based on your moral compass, your, your standards, your convictions, then you, by judging them, are placing yourself in the place of God in their life. God didn't call us to judge one another, but to, but to love one another. It is God's place to judge, not yours, not mine. Let me be clear about two things. First of all, let me be clear about this. The Bible does have standards. Before some Pharisee hears my sermon and says, I knew it, he was a compromiser, he's, he's turning into a compromiser. He's, 
He's not dealing with sin anymore at His church. Let me be clear. For, for my Pharisee friends, the Bible has standards. And I am not taking away from those standards at all. There are certain things the Scriptures teach that we are to live by. For example, the things discussed in chapter 1 are wrong. They are sin. If you think that I don't deal with sin, go back and listen to last Wednesday, Wednesday night sermon. I dealt with all sorts of things. There are things that the Scripture clearly teaches are wrong. And while the Bible sets standards, I still submit to you that it is not your job, nor is it my job, to judge others even on those biblical standards. You are not God. I am not God. It would be better for me to love you and for me to lead you to Christ than it would be for me to put you down and judge you. What would be better? For me to see you do something and in self-righteousness tell you how dirty and rotten you are? Or would it be better for me seeing you're wrong, comparing it to Scripture, knowing you're wrong, for me to bring you to Jesus Christ, where He can forgive you of your sins, make you a new creature, birth you into the family of God? Which one of those are better? The first one may make me feel good because I told you the way it was. But the second one impacts eternity in your soul. It was for the second one that Jesus died. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach to them Jesus Christ. So the Bible has certain standards. Let me say this secondly. Now this is where I'm really going to lose some folk, but that's okay. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right with that. I've, I've made up my mind on some things and I'm, I'm okay. Secondly, let me say this. All of us have our own standards or have our own convictions. There are things that every believer can do and cannot do. Because in their heart and in their mind, there are certain things, certain standards, certain convictions that they have. Those are personal convictions. Now, sometimes those personal convictions are not Bible convictions. I'm not talking about the things that the Bible clearly states is right and wrong. If, if the Bible clearly states it is right or clearly states it is wrong, it doesn't really matter what your opinion on it is. You say, well, I don't have a conviction over that, preacher. I don't care if you've got a conviction over it. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. I'm talking about those things that the Bible doesn't speak about. And there are some things that the Bible doesn't speak about that you may have a conviction on that somebody else doesn't have a conviction on. And that's okay. And I actually, I honestly think that that's good. It's good to have some standards. It's good to have some convictions. But we must be careful not to judge someone else based on our own personal convictions. Let me give you an illustration. In fact, let me give you three illustrations. Because these are three fairly hot topics in our world today. First of all, you may have a dress standard that somebody else doesn't have. You may have a dress standard that somebody doesn't have. Your standard may be that men are always to wear pants, they're to wear shirts that are buttoned up, have down to the wrist with their sleeves, and 
you know, that you have to have a tie to preach in, and you've got to wear a suit coat if you're going to, you know. Maybe your conviction is that a woman needs to wear a dress down to her ankles with the hem sewed up, and that's your conviction, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. But don't judge someone else based on your personal conviction. I believe the Bible teaches us that we should be modest in our apparel. But I'll be honest with you, friend, there's some standards that are taught as Bible that are not in the Bible. And you can do with that whatever you want to. Somebody will run to a little obscure verse in the book of Deuteronomy and take it out of context and try to prove their point with it. They don't consider the rest of the chapter. They don't, you know, they don't teach you things like you can't wear clothes with mixed fabrics. You can't wear cotton poly blend, but the same chapter says that. They don't teach you not to round off your beards, but the same chapter says that. We got, you know, a couple of us that are right with God in here, according to Deuteronomy 32. Brother Scott, he's in trouble. He at least had a mustache when I first come here. I preached the mustache off of him. But dress standards. You can have those. They're okay. But you can't judge somebody else based on your standard. Okay, how about this? Food standards. Food standards. This used to not be a big one, but it's a big one today. I may be okay eating meat, and somebody else may be a vegetarian. I can't even keep up with all the different vegetarians people are. You know, you're a vegetarian, you're a vegan, you're, you know, I can't keep up with all of them. And that's okay. It, it is okay. You, you can have the standard that you don't eat meat. You can have the standard that you don't eat red meat, that you don't that you don't eat eggs, that you don't, you can eat salad every day of your life. That, that can be your standard, and that's okay. But you can't judge somebody else based on that standard. And I can't judge them based on that standard. It goes both ways. I'm a meat eater. I believe when Peter said, when God said to Peter, rise, kill, and eat, hey, let's go to the buffet, me and Peter at the buffet. But I can't judge you if that's not your standard. If you feel differently, if you are a vegetarian, if you are a vegan, I can't judge you for that. What about music standards? That is a, here in our little bubble in this church, we don't see much of it, but you get outside of our little congregation here, and you know what you're going to find? There are some serious music standards in churches. Usually it goes something like this. There are some that have the standard that only very formal, round-mouth, traditional singing is allowed in church. Southern gospel is sin. Contemporary music is sin. There are churches in Knoxville that will not sing certain songs in certain ways because their standard is that it's got to be very high church, very, very traditional. And then some will come off of that a little bit. They, they, they're okay with more bluegrass. They're okay with more southern gospel. They're, they're okay with some of that stuff. But if it was wrote in the last hundred years, you can't sing that. You know, bless God, if, if it's on B, you know, if it's, if it's on Caleb, then it's of the devil. And that's their standard. And then some don't have that standard. Some will sing newer, modern songs. 
But you can't judge someone else based on your standard. I don't think personally that a song that was written a hundred years ago is any more spiritual than a song that was written a year ago. If Brother Scott come in and he wanted to sing a song, and I encourage him to do this if he feels led to do it. If Brother Scott come in and he wanted to sing a song that was a modern song, that was something that people were singing on the radio today, I would cheer him on. I'd sing it. I wouldn't sing it to the top of my lungs because nobody in here wants that. But I would sing it right over there. That's a standard people have. But we can't judge each other based on those standards. The truth is that if a man reads this chapter in its entirety, chapter 2, and he agrees with chapter number 2, he's going to find himself in a really bad place. Because when he considers the criteria of chapter 2 for judgment, he's going to realize that he's in a mess. In fact, what chapter 2 will do is it will cause you to stop judging others, start worrying about your own self. As the old saying goes, we won't be sweeping off and worrying about the dirt on our neighbor's porch. We'll be worried about sweeping our own porch. Notice the very first sentence of the very first verse in this chapter. You are inexcusable. You have no excuse. The first verse is generic. He's talking to everybody. You are without excuse. The next sentence, however, becomes more specific. You, the one that judges someone else based on your conviction, based on your standard, based on something that you find, you, that while you judge someone else, notice that you are judging yourself, placing yourself in the position of judgment. In fact, notice this, Paul says, when you whosoever thou art that judgest for therein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself why for thou that judgest doest the same things you're judging someone else and you're doing the same thing that phrase same thing in verse number one doesn't mean the exact same thing it is the greek word atua and that word atua means means that we are all guilty in the eyes of God. So what it means is that your standard might be different than mine and you don't do the thing that you're judging me for doing, but you're doing your thing and your thing's just as wrong. Verse number two, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Notice the difference between God's judgment and our judgment. Our judgment's based on our standards. God judges based on His standards. God judges based on truth. The word truth in verse 2 means reality. We judge based on the things that we think of in our head. God judges based on real things, reality, truth. You see, God doesn't have one standard for a certain group of people and another standard for another group of people. When we lead, read the list of wrongs in chapter number 2, in chapter number one, we must agree that we might be guilty of one of those things. You know, we point out the, you know, the big ones. You know, we point out the fornication or we point out the, the, the homosexuality. And we say, oh, looky there, looky there. But what about the gossip? 
What about being disobedient to your parents? That's in the same chapter. In fact, in chapter 1, there are two kinds of sin. There are sins of the flesh, and then there are sins of the Spirit. All right there in chapter number 1. And I guarantee you that you're guilty of at least one of them. But what we've done is we've become like the elder brother in Luke chapter 15. The younger brother, the prodigal son, takes his substance into the world, wasted on riotous living. He does things that morally we would look down on him for. Sins of the flesh. But the older brother that stayed at home was just as disobedient, just as out of fellowship with his father. For when he realizes his brothers come home, he will not go into the house. He will not have fellowship with his father. Why? Because he has inside of him malice and anger and jealousy. You never killed a fatted calf for me. You never had a celebration for me. He wasted his substance. I won't split my inheritance with him. And he didn't do the big things. He said he wasted his substance with harlots. And we would say, oh, shame on you. But we look at the other brother and say, you have sins of the Spirit. So shame on you. And we get so churchy that we look at the world and we say, shame on you. When what we ought to do is look in the mirror and say, shame on me. In condemning the Gentiles, they were actually condemning themselves. Verse number 3, Paul goes on to say, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? One writer compared the guilty man of verse 1 and verse 2 to the man who's guilty of breaking a natural law or human law. He said that the man that breaks a human law can escape judgment in four ways. He said his offense could maybe not be discovered. Maybe you commit a crime and nobody knows about it. Number two, he may escape beyond the jurisdiction of the court. Okay, maybe you commit a crime and you flee to Mexico. Number three, he, after he's arrested, there may be a legal technicality which will cause a breakdown in the legal procedure. Maybe there's something wasn't handled right. They didn't read you your Miranda rights and so they set you free. Or finally, after conviction, he said he may escape from prison and stay undercover. And in any of those things, you may escape judgment. The man, however, that is guilty of breaking God's laws has no escape for judgment. There's no possibility your wrong goes undiscovered. You will not hide from the judgment of God. There is no error in God's judgment by which a technicality can be found. And there is no way to escape the punishment of God. Verse 3, do you think... You will escape the judgment of God? No. Verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and the forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? That's pretty powerful. Paul reminds us now of the goodness of God. Because he says the goodness of God should be a driving and a determining factor in your life when it comes to the area of obedience. God's goodness in our life gives us purpose, it gives us drive, and it gives us 
responsibility. Let's use the nation of Israel for a second. If Paul's dealing with the Jews, think about this. God chose them out of all the nations. God chose them in Genesis chapter number 12. God put His blessings upon them. Throughout the Old Testament, you read where God put His blessings, when they were obedient, upon the nation of Israel. God dwelt among them. God gave them His words and gave them His laws, gave them His prophets. All to the nation of Israel. God gave them His goodness. And those blessings, all of those things that He gave to them, should cause them to be a lot to the Gentile nations around them. But rather they use them to look down on the Gentile nations around them. Let's make more application, maybe get a little closer to home. In like manner, God has blessed us with certain things. You think about this. God has let us be born in America. God let you and me be born in America. As of today, when I preach this sermon, March the 21st, 2021, America is still the land of the free and the home of the brave. We have religious freedoms. We have religious liberties. I can preach a sermon like this. As of tonight, I can preach a sermon like this. That may change in the future. But as of tonight, I can preach this sermon. I have the freedom to do that. You have the freedom to to choose to listen to this sermon. You have the freedom to get up and leave if you want to. We were born in America. Not only were we born in America, but most of us were probably born in the South. Born in the Bible Belt. You don't think that's a blessing. That's absolutely a blessing. Several years ago, my sister-in-law and her husband, at the time they were stationed in Sandy Hook, New Jersey. They wanted to try to find a church in New Jersey. And they looked and they looked and they looked. Couldn't find a a good, solid, Bible-believing church, one that they could fit into. So we went up there to visit them one time, and we visited a couple churches while they were there. Finally, after months of searching, they found a church that was similar to what you'd find here in the South. They found a church that was similar to what you'd find on almost every street corner in the South. But just a few hours up north, you don't have those churches on every street corner. You go out west, you don't have those churches on every street corner. God allowed us to be born in this pocket of the world. Out of all the billions of people on the planet, God let us be born in this pocket of the world where the gospel is literally on almost every radio dial as you flip through your television and there's a church on every corner. Let's keep going. God has let you hear and receive the gospel. He has let you hear and receive the gospel. God has put you in a church where you can hear truth. You can hear a Bible lesson, hear a Bible sermon. God puts you in that church. Those are all the blessings of God. Talking about the Bible, God lets you have a copy of His Word. Did you know that there are over 2,400, I think it's 2,400 is the number, there are over 2,400 languages that do not have a copy of God's Word in their language or their dialect. But you do. And most of the time ours has dust on the top of it. And there are 2,400 people groups that don't have one copy of God's Word. But God lets you have one. I couldn't tell you how many Bibles I own. I just bought this one the other day. 
Didn't need one, just wanted a new one. God let me have a new one. I could go on and on and on. The Lord has blessed us in ways that others simply have not been blessed. Those blessings do not make us better. They do not cause us to judge others. Instead, when we realize we have been so blessed, it should drive us to live for God and to help someone else. According to this verse, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It is God's goodness that sent Jesus Christ. It is that God's goodness that allowed you to hear the gospel. It is God's goodness that you have not already been consumed. God has been good to us. That should cause us to live for Him. And as I said, help someone else. Let's take a couple more verses and we'll, we'll be done tonight. I'm, I'm not going to try to get all of this, but I'll cut it short. Notice not only we see a false basis for judgment, but second of all, notice the true basis for judgment. The true basis for judgment. Verse, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. By receiving the goodness of God and not turning to God, a man or a woman lays up wrath for themselves. Think of all the people in the world, as I just mentioned. Think of all the people in the world that do not have the blessings we have. It's not just spiritual blessings. There are people that will die today of starvation. Right here in the good old U.S. of A. There are people that will dig through trash cans so, they'll find some, so they can find something to eat. Someone right now is in the hospital. Someone right now is at a funeral home. But you and I sit here, having just eaten supper or just about to eat supper. We have health. We have our family. We have God's blessing. Here you are living under the blessings of God. That should drive you to God. That should drive you closer to Him. I'm afraid sometimes we take those blessings for granted and we call, those blessings cause us to just kind of sit on our laurels and not do anything. But what those blessings should do is motivate us to do more. In fact, God is teaching now that instead of giving the Jews special treatment, He's going to hold them to a higher standard because they have those blessings. Watch this, verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Now, I'm going to take a time out right here. Because some people claim that the next few verses, Paul is teaching a works-based salvation. Let me remind you that this is not dealing with salvation. This is dealing with sin and judgment. This is the basis on which God judges. And I'll be honest with you, I, don't look, I do not look forward to being judged based on the things that are found in this, this chapter. Because I know me. You don't know me like I know me, but I know me and I don't want to be judged. And if you're honest, you don't either. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Okay, this is the do-gooder. The do-gooder seeks for immortality and eternal life by doing good. They don't find it, but they seek for it. 
They constantly do things to merit more glory, merit more honor, eventually maybe merit immortality and eternal life. They work and they work and they work to gain the favor of God and usually the favor of man. The trouble is you'll never be good enough to live up to God's standard. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, um, the, the wicked dead have been called out of hell. And John said, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And the, the wicked dead are standing before God and they're being judged. And as they're being judged, they're being cast into the lake of fire. And John said in verse 12, And I saw the dead small and great stand before God. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now notice the standard. There are men in verse 12, small and great. That's not talking about fat and skinny, tall and short. That's talking about some that felt very big. They were superior. They were better than everybody else. They were great men and great women. And some that were nobodies. But the great men and the nobodies stand before God. And it didn't matter how great they were. It didn't matter how good they were. It didn't matter how, how, how holy they were. They were judged by one standard. Verse 15, was your name written in the book of life or not? And if it was not, then it doesn't matter how great you were. They were cast into the lake of fire. That's the standard. You can be the best member of your community. You can be a moral person. You can attend church on a regular basis. But none of those are the standard. The standard is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if the answer to that is no, the rest of that stuff doesn't matter. It's judgment. Verse 8, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile, both glory, honor, peace, to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. God doesn't play favorites. If you have not accepted Christ, then verse 1, you are without excuse. And there is no hope for you. The only hope is found in Jesus Christ. In America, we have a, a symbol for justice. The, uh, the, the, the symbol for justice is a, is a woman with a pair of balances, a pair of scales in her hand. But on that woman, she's got a blindfold. I'm sure you've seen the picture. She's got a blindfold. And what that means is that justice is blind, or it should be. That's the premise. Now, we know that that's not always the case. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. But that's what our, our standard is. Justice is blind. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter if you're man or female. It doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or you're, you're you know, whatever. Justice should be blind. But, you know, we, we fall short in that sometimes. But God does not. God is truly will say blind in judgment you can be the best person in the community or you can be a thug on the street 
They'll both stand before God. You can wear a necktie to church and a dress on Sunday. Or you can be somebody that's got shoes that don't fit and holes in their britches and dirty clothes. It, it doesn't matter. They'll all stand before God. You can be a church member or not be a church member. That does not exclude you from the judgment of God. Only those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and had their names recorded in the book of life can and will be saved. Works will not save you. Works will not prevent judgment. Instead of relying on works, we must learn to rely on Jesus Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, I will say this. Once we have trusted Christ, we are to strive for good works. James said in James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You see, it is faith that saves you, but faith cannot be alone. Consider the goodness of God. Consider the salvation of the Lord. That will cause you to want to live a correct lifestyle. I don't work to be saved. I work because I got saved. There's a false basis of judgment. We judge others based on who we are. But then there's a true basis of judgment. God bases everyone on a single standard. What have you done with Jesus Christ? I'm going to stop right there. I wanted to go on a little bit further, but we'll, we'll catch the rest of this next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we'll talk about the standard for judgment. We'll talk about um, the summation. And then we'll talk about a problem. There's a problem in all of this. And we'll, we'll talk about all that next Wednesday night. Let us close in prayer.